0: Hello, and welcome to the Grace Place NYC podcast. God has given Pastor Stephen Perimala a word entitled, Lessons from the Mothers in My Life. Here he is now. Happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers in this place. We're so grateful for our moms, they are the best. I love my mom, she is just the greatest ever. And I love my wife, uh, she is the best mother for my children. No one else in the world would come close to being the mom for Boston and Avia that she is. And she's sad that she can't be here today. She is a photographer and she does birth photography. So at 5.30 this morning, she got a text uh, from one of her clients saying that uh, she is in labor and she's on the way to the hospital. So Priscilla had to get up this morning and meet her at the hospital. And I have no idea if they've had the baby yet or not, but she is taking pictures. So it's a uh, birth photography is interesting because you kind of got to be on call. Some women, uh, I think Victoria, I think she went into the hospital and like 30 seconds later she had her baby. <laughs> Others take a little bit longer, so you just never know. But, you know, I wish Priscilla was here, but uh, and she wishes she was here, but she's not. But she is an amazing, amazing mother. Women are so valuable and so incredible to the fabric of our world. Women contribute so much to the success of our families the education of our children, and to our society as a whole, don't they? Without women, we wouldn't be who we are. First of all, none of us would be here without women. Most of us would not be who we are today and accomplishing what we're accomplishing today without an amazing mother that backs us up, that encourages us, that loves on us. Amen? You know, from their bedtime stories to the countless meals they've cooked to getting us the perfect presents every single Christmas and then staying up all night to wrap those presents, to being your doctor when you were sick. Our moms are our rocks, aren't they? They are our shoulder to cry on. They in many ways understand us more than any other human being alive. And when we think about God, most of the time we view him through the lens of masculinity, don't we? The Bible refers to him as our heavenly father. Jesus was a man in his earthly form. But the truth is that while God created genders, he is not bound to one or the other. Okay, He stands outside of maleness and femaleness while having traits of both because he is the creator of both genders. In actuality, God does not have male or female traits, but men and women reflect God's image through their masculinity and through their femininity, okay? That means there's not one that's more superior to the other. They're both a reflection of the image of God. Because in Genesis, God said he made the man and he made the woman, and they were his reflection and they were his image bearers. So I want to share some scriptures with you that refer to God through uh, uh, feminine attributes. You may not have known that the Bible talks about God in this way. Isaiah sixty-six thirteen 13 says this, As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. How many agree that there is no one who can comfort you the way mom does? No one. No one on this earth that can comfort me the way my Mom does. In fact, when I was sick growing up, I didn't go to my dad. I went to my mom. When I had a fever, mom was the one who stayed up late putting a cold towel on my forehead. She was the one that when I had a stomach ache, she gave me 7-Up and crackers to eat. She was the one that made me grape jelly and toast when I was sick. She was the one that stayed up all night taking care of me. Mom was the one who took off work to take me to the doctor's office. And and now when Boston or Avia get sick, they don't run to dad. They run to mom. And for good reason. Because I might just say, just get better. Just get better. Get some Tylenol in the medicine cabinet and get better. Now, I'm not that bad. but, But they run to mom when they're sick. Priscilla is the one that stays up with the kids when they're sick. Priscilla is the one that puts the cold rag, aka the sock, on their forehead when they have a fever. She's the one that lays with them for hours on end until they feel better. Priscilla is the one who serves them day and night until they're on the mend. In that same way, God comforts his children like a mother comforts her children during our greatest time of need. Isaiah 49, 15 says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Just as a mother never forgets about her children, they are constantly at the forefront of a mother's thoughts. Our God never forgets. No matter what we're going through, no matter how low we have sunk, no matter how... Deep in a mess we're in, God never forgets us, just like our moms never forget us. You know, it's funny because Priscilla can be completely overwhelmed with the kids because they're just fighting with each other or they're not listening to her at all. And we'll go get a date night and we'll be walking towards the subway to go wherever we're going to go. And the first thing that comes out of her mouth is not, man, I just needed this time away. It's, man, I miss the kids. It's the first thing she says. No matter how overwhelmed she just was, no matter if World War III was happening in the house and she got away, the first thing she says is, man, I miss my kids. I love my kids so much, I wish they were here with us. A mom never forgets about her children, and our God never forgets about us. Let's look at another passage. This is Jesus speaking. And lamenting over Jerusalem. And he says this in Matthew 23, 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. This is Jesus longing for the people of Israel the way a mother hen longs to gather her chicks under her wings so that they'll be protected This past week, we were in Washington, D.C. for a church planters cohort, and Priscilla and I drove down a little early on Tuesday and visited the Museum of the Bible, which I highly recommend for everyone. It was absolutely incredible. Uh, One of the things that really stuck out to me, though, as they were unfolding the story of the Bible was how many women were were, uh, an intricate part of getting Jesus, our Messiah, here to this earth. It it, it highlighted several women that were so important in the story of our Messiah and the plan of Jesus for the world. Obviously, Eve, the mother of humankind, was part of the puzzle of, of getting Jesus here to this earth. But then the mother of Moses, she, if you remember, she hid Moses for three months because Pharaoh uh, signed into law uh, that all babies born to to uh, Hebrew uh, families were to be killed as a way to control the population and, uh, of of the Hebrew people. And when she couldn't hide him any longer, she put him in a basket and put that basket in the Nile River and made sure that Pharaoh's daughter would see this baby. And and Moses ended up being spared because of her uh, because of his mother's courage and. He was raised in Pharaoh's home and he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter and he was spared and he ended up coming full circle and he became the deliverer for the Hebrew people. And then we have Rahab who was a prostitute and she sheltered two spies from Israel who were spying out the promised land and hid them from the enemy king and ended up being a part of the genealogy of Jesus. She ended up preserving that line that the Messiah would come through. And then Rahab was the mother of Boaz who married Ruth. And if you remember, Ruth was the one whose husband died but refused to leave her mother-in-law. She said, where you go, I will go. And she moved from her home country of Moab to a foreign country in Canaan to be with her mother-in-law and Ruth and Boaz ended up marrying each other. And Ruth and Boaz were the parents of Obed, who was the father of a man named Jesse, who was the father of a man you might know by the name of David, who became the greatest king in Israel, all the way down the line to Mary, the mother of of Jesus, who was miraculously and supernaturally impregnated by the Holy Spirit and conceived Jesus, the Messiah, who was our Lord and Savior. Do you see all of the women that were so significant and so important that, 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 that came down the line to get us the Messiah? Women are so important. Without the amazing mothers in this story, we wouldn't have Jesus, amen? Amen. And so today, what I would like to do is I wanna spend the next few moments sharing with you lessons that I have learned from the mothers in my life. I wanna give you five lessons that I've learned through the mothers in my life. These lessons have been learned through experience from my own mother and through observing my wife And my mother-in-law, she didn't know I was going to do this, uh, but my mother-in-law is here with us today. She came, her and Priscilla's cousin flew up from Texas to be with our kids while we went to Washington, D.C. And so uh, I'm going to share with you five lessons that I've learned from my own mom, from my wife, and from my mother-in-law. And these uh, lessons I, I thought would be really helpful for all of us today. And so these five lessons are not necessarily theological but they are definitely biblical and they will definitely help you if you apply them to your lives. Okay. So the first lesson I learned uh, is, is from my mom and I learned from her to spend my money wisely, (laughs) to spend my money wisely. And I'll be the first to admit that I haven't always lived this lesson out. Okay. But it was definitely modeled to me by my mother. Uh, My mom could stretch a dollar like a Stretch Armstrong toy. Those of you, do you guys remember, those of you that grew up in the 90s, remember that doll that just stretched? My mom could stretch a dollar like no one's business. My mom handled the finances in our home growing up, and she did a very good job at it because she spent our money wisely. Money wasn't wasted on needless things in my home, okay? Now I can't say she uses that lesson with her grandkids, okay? (laughs) But she definitely used that on my sister and I. If my kids want some and they ask her. she just it comes in Amazon the next week. okay? And they know it, and they use it. Uh, growing up, we weren't rich and we weren't poor, but we always had food on the table. We always had clothes to wear. And we always had everything we needed, but we didn't always have everything we wanted. There's a big, huge difference there. Uh, for example, eating out was a luxury to my sister and I growing up. We didn't eat out all the time, okay? And when we ate out, it was for a special occasion, and so we were excited anytime we got to eat out because most of the time we would eat at home because eating at home is cheaper than eating out all the time, okay? And we try, in our home, to, we try to eat in the home at least three or four times a week but because of our schedules and sometimes laziness, okay, we do eat out much more than I did growing up. But I think people in general eat out more now. Uh, but, but yeah, eat, growing up, man, eating out was a luxury in my home. Uh, my parents bought me the original Nintendo that came with Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt and they had that plastic gun that you could shoot those ducks with. And then they bought me a Sega Genesis but that was the end of my video game life. From, from the Sega Genesis, while all my friends were getting Super Nintendos, Nintendo 64s, and all of those other game systems, I did not, because they were super expensive. And to be honest, I'm kind of glad now, because at 37 years old, I could care less about video games, I could care less about what the newest game is, and that's one less temptation for me To waste my time and spend money on. So I'm actually thankful now, although I wasn't thankful back then, but I am now. So here's what I learned modeled by my mom, but put into words by one of my mentors when it comes to money and finances. When you get your paycheck, okay, you work your whatever, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, and you get your weekly paycheck, bi-weekly paycheck, or however you get paid, this is what you should do. And I learned this from my mom. Number one, you sow some. You sow some, meaning you tithe 10% of everything you make and you give offerings, which is anything above and beyond the tithe. And so you do this as an act of gratefulness towards God because he is the one that gave you the strength and the intellect and the energy to work every single day. He is the reason that you woke up this morning and he will be the reason that you woke up Uh, That you wake up tomorrow. And so because of that, out of gratefulness and thankfulness, you give your first 10% to God and you honor him with that portion. You also do this. You also tithe and give offerings because you are learning how to trust God to provide for you. You, You're saying, you know what, God, I am trusting you and I'm believing that you can do more with the 90% than I can do with 100% of my paycheck and I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to believe that you are going to provide for all of my needs. And for as long as I remember, my parents tithed, and they gave offerings to the church, and so now it's a no-brainer for me to tithe and give to my church. Okay? So number one, you, when you get your paycheck, you save some. Number two, you, save, or you sow some. Number two, you save some. You put away some from each paycheck. Dave Ramsey Uh, The the financial guru, he recommends that you start with a a $1,000 emergency fund, okay? So if your car breaks down, you have an unexpected doctor's bill or any other emergency that pops up, you have a little bit uh, saved up, you have something in an envelope in your closet, uh, like I do, that if something happens, you have something when uh, an emergency hits. Because let me tell you something, emergencies always hit and they don't ask you or tell you when they're going to hit, okay? And then once you have your emergency fund, he recommends that you start working towards a three to six months of living expenses that you just set aside in saving. So you calculate your rent, you calculate your utilities, you calculate your grocery, all of your uh, uh, necessities, okay? You calculate all of those, and you multiply that by three, four, five, or six months, and then you start working towards saving that because here's what I know people get laid off and you're not most of the time you're not told when you're going to be laid off it happens like that and sometimes it's harder to to find another job it takes a long time and so when you have that three to six months saved up you can live and you're not going berserko and you're not you know and you're not going to be homeless because you have that margin in your life. And I say that, and then I say this. I understand that all of this is contextual, okay? And there are seasons in our lives where this is much more realistic than others. And on top of that, we live in the most expensive city in the entire world, okay? So it's not as easy to do this as it would be in the Midwest or in the South just because the cost of living is so crazy. So I understand, but I also think this is something to think about. This is something to strive towards. This is something to move. It's better to move towards that than move in the opposite direction, okay? And so you sow some, you save some, and then finally you spend some. After you've put God first and you've sown some and you've saved some, and after you've paid all of your bills, okay, after you've paid all of those things, whatever is left over, you can spend at your own discretion, and these things I have learned from my mother. Proverbs twenty one twenty says, There is a desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. Number two, the second lesson I've learned is that uh, I learned from my mom that meeting practical needs is the way of Jesus. Meeting practical needs is the way of Jesus. You know, when Jesus saw a blind person, he didn't say, let's get you saved, baptized, and plugged into growth track, okay? No, when he saw a blind person, he laid his hands on those blind person, he spit in the ground, made some mud, and wiped it on that blind person, and, and 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 he prayed for healing over that blind person. He met a practical need. If you were blind, he made you see. If you were deaf, he made you be able to hear. When, when he encountered a demon-possessed Person, he didn't recommend six months of counseling. Okay, what he did was he cast that demon out right then and there, and then we can work towards the counseling. Okay, he met a need when people were hungry. What did he do? He fed them. He fed them. He broke bread and fed them. He he did he even did a miracle. He he uh, uh, five fit five fish and two loaves of bread. He broke those things and he multiplied those things and he fed the multitude. He met practical needs. That's why Jesus made the Good Samaritan the hero of the the parable of the Good Samaritan because the the, the Samaritan man was the only one who met the practical needs of the Jewish man that had been robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. And I learned this lesson from my mom. Every time a birthday or, or Christmas comes up, my mom asks me what we need because she thinks very practically about everything, but especially when it comes to gifts. Some people buy gifts for sentimental value, like my wife. She, 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 she's very thoughtful in her gifts. She thinks about what she buys and her gifts are very meaningful, okay? Uh, uh, but my mom is, is and, we, and I love that and we need that, but my mom, when she buys a gift, It's gonna be practical and it's gonna be something we use right then and then right away, something we need, okay? Uh, And I think we can learn a lot from this lesson because people are always asking themselves and maybe you're asking yourself this question, what has God called me to do with my life? People are always thinking about this. People are always asking this question. What has God called me to do? And not to oversimplify it, But if you're in that place in your life where you're wondering what God wants you to do, here's my advice. Find a need and meet it. Find a need and meet it. Let's not make it overcomplicated. Let's not make it uh, uh, rocket science. Let's not make it something that's way over our heads. Let's simply find a need and meet that need. You don't need to go to seminary for this one, Mm -hmm. okay? Be Jesus uh, with skin on to someone, okay? I think we overcomplicate what we're called to do and end up doing nothing. Yeah. We go in circles. God, what have you called me to do? What have you called me to do? What have you called me to do? God, God, I don't know what I'm called to do. What are my giftings? What are my gifting? What, what do you want me to do on this earth? Why, would I, why was I put on this earth? And all the while, we're just overcomplicating it, walking in circles, and we end up doing nothing for God, nothing for the kingdom, nothing for those uh, around us. And all of these needs we overlook because we're too busy walking around in circles asking God, what we're supposed to do. Find a need and meet it. And when you meet a need, maybe, just maybe, you'll find your calling in the middle of simply meeting a need. No one finds what they're supposed to do while not doing anything at all. I do know that, okay? Is there a need in TGP Kids? Meet it. Is there a need in our setup Teardown Team? Meet it. Is there a need in our outreach ministry? Meet it. It's very simple. I can tell you right here where the word of the Lord is. If you see a need, meet it. That's what God wants you to do. I'm prophesying it over you right now. Okay? All right. The third lesson I learned is from my wife, and it's that moments matter. This is a lesson I've learned from Priscilla. Moments matter. Sometimes I can be so task-driven that I end up neglecting my family. Sometimes I can be such a people-pleaser. And not know how to say no. That I sacrifice my family for the sake of pleasing everyone else because I don't want to say no, because I I I I I don't want I want I want to make people happy. And out of that, every yes you you every yes in your life is a no to something else. So sometimes in my people pleasing, I end up sacrificing my family. And Priscilla has taught me and continues to teach me that family is my first ministry. If I want to lead you well, I must lead my family well, okay? And Priscilla has taught me that my kids might not remember everything I try and teach them, but they will never forget the moments that we create together, okay? They're never going to forget when we took them to Disneyland a couple years ago. They're never going to forget our family movie nights that we have. They're never going to forget all of our family Christmas traditions that Priscilla has been the initiator of. They might forget what I tell them. They might forget a lot of things, but they are not going to forget the moments that we created for them as a family. Although life is lived out in the mundane day-to-day, if we're faithful in the mundane... God will create moments of beauty carved from the mundane. Yeah. Listen, church, moments matter. Moments matter, especially in a city like New York City where the pace is frenetic, where people are moving forward. They don't wait for nobody. Uh, we're, just to, we're just trying to make ends meet. Where the struggle is real, okay? And so in this city, we have to make sure that we pull back And we say, you know what, moments matter. And so, you know what, I I need to prioritize what's important in my life, okay? Moments matter in our family, also in our church life. When you miss church because fill in the blank with a dozen different things, okay, you're missing an opportunity to have a moment with God that might change everything in your life, okay? Simply because maybe you wanted to sleep longer or because... It rained or whatever. Maybe you're having a bad week and you decide not to come to church. And you may be missing a moment that you can have with God during worship or during the preaching or maybe having a conversation with someone else in the congregation and it changes everything in your life. And, and, and because you missed church, you missed the moment. Don't underestimate the power of moments with your family. That family dinner where you guys all sit down to eat together is creating lasting moments that your children will carry with them for the rest of their lives. And this is something that I have learned and I'm continuing to learn because I'm not the best at this. I'm learning this from my wife. Another lesson that I learned from Priscilla is this. Don't mess with mama bear. Don't mess with mama bear. Okay. let me just put it this way. If anyone ever puts my children in danger, okay, and Priscilla is around, I feel sorry for the person that put my children in danger because there is a version of Priscilla that comes out that I don't care how big or bad you are, you're going to be intimidated and you're going to be scared, okay? If Boston or Avia, if they get hurt, Priscilla does not care who is around. She's going to yell She's gonna make things awkward. She is gonna make a scene, and she is going to make sure that our kids get the help that they need because Mama Bear comes out from within her. Okay? And she's gonna make sure my kids are okay. You know, me and the kids, we play fight from time to time, and we'll get on the bed and we'll start wrestling, and I'll do do my WWE moves on them, and, and I'll act like they're beating me up, and they'll get on top of me, and then I'll, you know, I'll jump up and. Inevitably, every time we do that, one of the kids ends up getting hurt. They fall off the bed, or, or maybe I threw them down on the bed a little too hard, or whatever. And every single time that happens, and my wife hears their cry, she stomps into that room, and Mama Bear comes out, and I feel like my life is in danger right now. And I'm like, I'm sorry, we just got a little too out of hand here. And then we do it all over again. But, but for that split second... Uh, I'm like, she's going to kill me right now. She is going to break my neck right now because mama bear came out. and Just as Priscilla has taught me what ferocious love looks like, her love for my kids pales in comparison to God's love for you and me. I want to speak a passage of scripture over you right now. Some of you really need to hear this. And so can we all just close our eyes for a moment while I read this passage over you? I I think this is going to really bless some of you today. And this passage is for everyone. But if you are a mom, this is especially for you today because you do so much. And I want you to know that you are valuable to the Lord. And so I want to speak this over you. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. See, all your angry enemies lie there, confused and humiliated. Anyone who opposes you will die and come to nothing. You will look in vain for those who tried to conquer you. Those who attack you will come to nothing. For I hold you by your right hand. I, the Lord, your God. And I say to you, don't be afraid. I am here to help you. I want to address the moms in the room for just a moment here. You know, no one, can, no one has to make you protect your children. No one has to make you care. Okay? No one says, comes, comes alongside of you, you, probably need to care a little bit more. If anything, people might say, man, hold. I mean, it's it's you know, people might try to hold you back a little bit because moms innately are protective, they're nurturing, they 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 they, uh, they care deeply about their children. When 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 a, when a child uh, when a child clearly has no skill in an area, that mama always sees some kind of skill. Even if even if they're in denial, they see that skill. Why? Because they're mo- moms, and moms innately, they have something in them that just believes the best in their children. And so no one has to make you care. No one has to uh, make you protect your kids, but I... I, I I felt like as I was preparing this message, God spoke to me and said, a lot of the moms, and there's moms not here. They can listen to the podcast. (laughs) There's a lot of moms that feel like, although I'm giving everything to my children and I'm sacrificing everything for my children and I care so deeply, you feel all alone and you feel like there's no one that cares for you in the way that you care for your children. And I want you to know that there is someone that does. And He is your God. He is your Creator. He is the lover of your soul. Okay. And God sees everything. He sees all of those things that nobody else sees. He sees all of those sleepless nights. He sees all of those. Uh, he, he sees all of those moments where you're so overwhelmed, you feel like you you're not going to be able to. To to go on anymore. He sees all of the all of those moments where you've been been left and you've been abandoned and, and you've been left with all of these responsibilities and you have no one to help you. God has seen you and He is with you and He is for you. Amen. He sees the burdens that you are carrying with you. And God sees you today. And if that's you, that scripture was for you. You, When when God says, don't be afraid, when God says, don't be discouraged, when God says, I will strengthen you, when God says, I will hold you up, man, he means it. So if you're in that place today where you feel like no one sees me, no one notices me, no one is there to, to, to care for me the way I am caring for others, no one is giving to me the way I'm giving to my family, I want you to know God is the one that's doing that for you. Amen. During my rebellious teenage years, and I did have rebellious teenage years, there would be lots of nights where I would sneak out of the house and go hang out with friends and party all night long. And, and everyone in the house would be asleep except my mom. My mom would know every single time I snuck out of the house, even though I, my room was in the basement. And I would open the window in my basement. I'll climb out that window and leave, my mom knew I was out of the house. And my mom would never be able to sleep while I was outside of the house. She knew when I wasn't there, and she could not sleep. She couldn't fall asleep when I was there until she heard me come back through that window, and she knew I was safe and sound, and I was in my room. She couldn't sleep. And what she would do during those sleepless nights is she would use that time to pray, for her wayward son. She used all of those nights that I would sneak out and party and I was living a life of sin. I was doing all of these things that were destructive to my life and I was running from God. My mom was praying for me. My mom was standing in the gap for me. My mom was crying out to God for me while my sister was asleep, while my dad was asleep, While the neighborhood was asleep, my mom was praying for me in my rebellion, in my mess, in my running from God. My mom was the one that would pray for me. And it's because my mom prayed for me while I was in my mess, while I was was, uh, walking away, running away from God. Mm -hmm. I believe that her prayers were a seed that now happened to be me serving Jesus and following Jesus. And I I don't think I would be here today if my mom hadn't prayed for me every single night during my, my, when I was 16 years old. And I was partying almost every single night when I was 16. I was sneaking out of the house almost every single night. And if it weren't for my mom who prayed for me, I don't know where I would be today. I don't know where I would be today. Felt like God told me that some of you are carrying the weight and pressure of your family. And sometimes you might feel all alone and that you're fighting for your kids, but there's no one fighting for you. And I want you to know God is fighting for you. God is fighting for you. God is on your side. You might not even be a mom, but you feel this way today. I want you to know I'm speaking this over you. God is fighting for you today. God is crazy about you. Just as you rise up when you feel that your child is in danger, God rises up every time he sees his son or daughter is in danger. When you are feeling lonely, God is rising up. When you're feeling like you can't go anymore, God is rising up. And as much as you love your kids, mom, God loves you more and God loves them more. And just as you would give your life to protect your children, God would do the same thing for you. Actually, he already did. He already did. As the wrath of God was heading towards us, Jesus stepped in and took God's wrath upon himself on the cross. And that is simply Amazing! The greatest act of mama bear protection was when Jesus protected you and I from the penalty of sin, from the punishment of sin, when he bore those sins and those punishment and those, that consequence and the wrath of God upon himself while he was hanging on that tree. Yeah. Amen? Amen? And that perfectly leads me to my final lesson learned, and this one is one I learned from my mother-in-law, Esmer. And it's this. Unconditional love is magnetic. Unconditional love is magnetic. Esmer, she has four kids, and they are all drawn to her. They love her. They keep in touch with her. They call her. They send her birthday gifts on her birthday. Uh, Hopefully they're sending her Mother's Day gifts on Mother's Day. We'll see. Uh, She's got a daughter here. I don't know if she got her anything for Mother's Day. But they are all drawn towards Esmer. She has a really amazing relationship with all four of her kids, and that's not an easy task. And a lot of moms don't have that with their children, okay? And not only does she have four kids, but she has four grandchildren, and all of them are obsessed with their Grammy, including Boston and Avia, okay? Like I told you earlier, Grammy and cousin flew up from Texas here to New York City to be with. Uh, the kids, while we were in D.C. last week, so they could take them to school and take them to practice and all of those things, and on a normal day, Boston and Avia will sleep on their bunk beds in their room, and sometime in the middle of the night, usually one or both will end up sleeping in our beds, but not when Grandma is in town. Uh, Grandma is sleeping on one of the bunk beds, which is a small twin-sized bed. Avia's on this side. Boston's on this side. They're all on top of her in Boston, man. He moves and he kicks and he squirms and he does all of these things in his sleep. And, and, and they are surrounding her. Why? Because they love their grandma because she shows them unconditional love, okay? When they're bad, when they're good, when they're rebellious, when they're following the rules, they know that their grandma loves the mess out of them. And because of that, they are drawn to her. Esmer is magnetic because she loves unconditionally. She doesn't make you jump through hoops before she will love you, okay? Even when her children make bad decisions, her love for them does not change. I have seen this firsthand, okay? Uh, I've seen this firsthand. It is firm, and her kids know it. And so because her kids know it, even when they make bad decisions, they know that if they're in a bind, if they're in trouble... They can they can call their mom and she won't judge them. She might not agree with what they're doing, but she ain't going to judge them. She's going to love them. If they need money, she's going to send them money. <laughs> if they need her credit card, she's going to give her their her credit card. OK, because she loves them no matter what. That unconditional love is a reflection of God. Yeah. OK, God loves everyone, regardless of your race Regardless of your socioeconomic status, regardless of your sexual orientation, regardless of your gender, he loves you. Now, he doesn't approve of everyone's choices, but he loves everyone nonetheless. Like you could never do anything to make God love you any less. You can never make a mistake big enough to make God stop loving you. Okay? He already loves you more than you could ever imagine. Mistakes, warts, deficiencies, and all. Listen to Romans 5, uh, verses 5 through 8. Um, It says this, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait until we cleaned ourselves up. He didn't wait until we, uh, we, we, we followed all the guidelines and all the rules. While we were still in our mess, while we were still sinners, while we were still messing up, while we were still moving in the opposite direction from him, Christ died for us. Sometimes people hear the term unconditional love and say, hey, wait a minute. If God loved me unconditionally, then he wouldn't punish me for my sins. How can God love me unconditionally and still punish me for my sins? An unconditional love would not send anyone to hell, and a lot of people are hung up on that. And I think we misunderstand what God's unconditional love actually is. For example, imagine you were stuck in a house that was consumed with fire. And a fireman gets a ladder and he puts it up to the window and say, hey, the, 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 the whole house is being consumed. This is the only way out, out this window, down the ladder, and you will be saved. You will be saved. What if you folded up your hands and you said, no, the way I want to be saved is I want you to put out the fire in the rest of the house while I wait here. And that, 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 and that's the only way I want to be saved. What's going to happen to you? Well, the fireman can try to put out the fire but you're going to be burned alive. You're going to die. Not because that fireman didn't care about you, not because you were unloved, but because you were stubborn. Yeah. You had a way out and you chose not to go out that way. You see, unconditional love doesn't mean God just lets you do whatever you want. Yeah. Unconditional love means that he loves you so much that he's going he's to prod you, he's going to poke you, he's going to convict you, he's going to send people in your life to tell you the truth, but ultimately, you have to choose to walk and accept that love from God. Amen? Many people want God to make what they're doing okay instead of going down the path that God has provided through His Son. And in our stubbornness, we think God doesn't love us because how could He punish me for something if He loves me? Mm -hmm. Well, I punish my kids all the time, but I love them. So much, so much. Pure love is also a just love, right? Would anyone have a problem if I were a judge and a serial killer came up to me, you know, came and I had his case and I just let him go scotch-free? Of course he'd have a problem with me because it's not just, okay? I'm letting someone that has a pattern of killing people out into uh, the public free without paying for his consequences. Yet, we want to get away with what the Bible calls a violation of our relationship with him sometimes in the name of unconditional love. I have learned from my mother-in-law that regardless of what people do or don't do, we are to love them because God loves them. If I could have the worship team come up. Some people are unlovable. Some people are unlikable. Some people make decisions that you know are destroying their lives and they're destroying the lives of those around them. Some people are making decisions and they're heading down a path that you know isn't good. But our job is to love. Our job is to say, you know what, I don't agree with what you're doing. I don't agree with your choices. I don't agree with your decision. I don't agree with the life you're living right now. But you know what, I'm going to love you. And I'm going to be there in your life regardless of if you do what I want you to do or not. And I have learned this from my mother-in-law. And when you love people genuinely, people will be drawn to you, okay? People will want to be around you. People who were rejected by society were drawn to Jesus, not because of his amazing teaching, not even because of his miracles. They were drawn to him because of his love for them. They were drawn to him because when society wouldn't be caught within 10 feet of them, Jesus would go to dinner with them. When the religious leaders looked down on someone, Jesus called them down off a tree and invited himself into their home. When the religious leaders were about to stone someone, Jesus said... He who is without sin, be the first to cast a stone. And then he told the woman, he didn't let her off the hook. He said, go and sin no more. Jesus showed unconditional love. And because of that, people, misfits, outcasts, people who, who were, 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 were not the elite In society, they were drawn to Jesus and they followed Jesus and they wanted to be around Jesus and they wanted what Jesus had because of his unconditional love towards them. And because of his unconditional love towards them, he could speak truth to them and they could receive it. Amen? Jesus didn't wait for them to get cleaned up before he loved them. He loved them in their mess. And He loves you in your mess, too. As we close today, I want to say to our moms, those of you who are moms in this place, thank you for everything that you do. Thank you for everything that you teach us. Not just with your words, but with your actions, with your life, by the way you model your life, by the way you love your children, by the way you're committed to your families the way you're strong in the midst of adversity and obstacles and all of the things of the world that come your way. Thank you for everything you do and thank you for everything you teach us. Thank you for believing in your children. Thank you for praying for your children. Thank you for being strong when those in your family that are supposed to be strong are not strong. Thank you for leading when others won't lead. Thank you for all of the things that nobody sees and nobody notices that you do that keeps the family together. Thank you for that. Let's pray.